You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. See, I'm hoping that's our experience, that once we were blind to the things that God uh, wanted to show us, but now we can see. That once we were blind to the needs of our coworker, but now we see. That once we didn't see things, but now our eyes are opened. That once we didn't see the needs of our spouse, the needs of our family, but all of a sudden after this message, you're like, man, the scales have been lifted from my eyes. I see things now that I've never seen before. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now. Here is Pastor Micaiah. I believe that expectation determines what we experience. And so if we have an expectant heart, I believe we will experience that. I heard recently that you get what you go for. You get what you go for. And too often we don't go after God and we wonder why we don't get a whole lot of him. And so this morning, I'm really encouraged by the fact that God wants to speak to us. He wants to share something with us. Let's have an expectant heart this morning. So if you have a Bible, you could turn to John chapter number nine, John chapter number nine, we're in a new series entitled, uh, What Would Jesus Undo? And we're looking at several things in the Bible that would that we would see that Jesus would undo. If you grew up early in the 90s, uh, you would understand that there was a popular uh, little phrase. It was called, what would Jesus do? And so many people are familiar with that, had a t-shirt or bracelet or something like that. And it was, all, it was all about what would Jesus do? But there are a lot of things as we look around, we'd say, I think Jesus would undo some of those things. And so that's what we've been looking at. Week number one, we talked about how Jesus would undo indifference. Uh, you say, what do you mean indifference? Too many times we are not as committed to the cause of Jesus as we should be or want to be. And the reason being is because we are confused about commitment. And today it seems like there's a lot of people who talk about Jesus, who talk about him, but yet they're not committed to him. And committed means it's not just what we say with our lips, it's what we back up with our lifestyle. And everybody loves to talk a good game, but it's all about our lifestyle. You know, you can talk to people and they can say one thing, but then you look at their life and you're like, hmm, this isn't quite backing up what you're saying. So that was week number one. Week number two, we talked about handling hypocrisy and we talked about dropping the mask and we talked about addressing the mess and moving on from the mistakes is what we covered that morning, last morning. And we talked about how we're supposed to resemble our father. And it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you'll have conversation with friends or family and they'll look at you or they'll look at your kids. And if they know your parents, or something, they'll say, hey, you look like your dad. And uh, this week, there's been this kind of running joke uh, with some of the people in my life. They, they, they'll call me out. They're like, you ain't looking like father, you know? And I'm just like, oh, he got me, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm just like, be quiet, wife, you know? I'll, I'll leave you, you know? And uh, no, 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 she's good. She's not in the auditorium this morning. She, I could talk about her, right? So uh, last week, it was like open season. She was in San Diego. And, uh, but then she listened to the podcast, and I still got in trouble. I don't know how that happens. Man. She's everywhere. So no, it's good. It's like the Holy Spirit, you know. It's amazing how the wife could be the Holy Spirit, you know. Husbands, haven't we made some dumb decisions? And then our wife just looks at us, I told you so. You know, they just have that look. Like they don't even have to say, I told you so. <laughs> you just look at them and you just know. You're just like, yeah, it was dumb. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that, you know. And it's just like they have a sixth sense for what we should and should not do. But 
even us guys, we will admit sometimes we just don't care. We're going to do it anyway. We're just going to do it. We don't, we don't even care. You know, uh, the new thing I've been hearing is people have been renting these lime scooters. You've been hearing about this? You see them everywhere, the lime scooters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It costs a dollar to start it up, and then it's like 19 cents a mile. You know, if you actually go, like, the distance is still more than a tank of gas to rent that lime scooter. Just so you know, it's more than a tank of gas. Uh, but not, neither here nor there. But there are people that are, that are uh, in the East Bay. This is the East Bay. They, they're getting them by the bay, and they're racing them right into the bay. They're, they're right in the bay. I'm just like, yes, you know, that's hilarious. So just people doing dumb stuff, just dumb stuff, you know? And uh, so we, we looked at people acting like their father. Well, today we're going to talk about a different topic. Maybe it's a topic you've never even heard about. Maybe it's something totally new. I've never uh, preached about it, but it's something new and it's spiritual blindness. And immediately some of you may be like, what? I mean, I get hypocrisy, I get commitment, but spiritual blindness. I know, I'm going to have to introduce it for, a, for just a second. Uh, when it comes to sight, it's a very important thing, right? When babies are born, for the first six months, they actually can't make out any shapes. They don't. Uh, for the first six months, you're just a blur to them. And then the first face that a baby can make out is his mother's face. And then the second is the daddy's, okay? So, uh, sorry dads, I don't know why, just science says by eight months old, that's when your baby like, that's my dad, you know, and uh, up until that, it could be anybody else. Be careful who's looking at your baby, all right? And uh, so, but for the first six months, it's all about the mom, but sight is so important to us and what we, what we see, and uh, when, we, when it comes to sight, we recognize things, right? So whenever I say a word, certain images pop in your brain. So if I say Washington, D.C., an image pops into your brain. Maybe it's an image of the White House. Maybe it's a monument. Maybe it's something else. Uh, or if I say the word San Francisco, an image pops into your brain. Maybe it's the Golden Gate Bridge, AT&T Park, Coit Tower, where you got mugged on the corner. I don't know. There, there's some place in that just an image pops into your brain, right? I love going to weddings. And uh, I get to do a couple. And whenever I'm at a wedding, I always look for the same thing. The same thing. And I always tell the photographer too. I'm like, hey, there's one shot you need to capture. This is the one shot. This is it. This is, this is totally the shot you need to get. It's when the groom first sees the bride. There's just something about that moment. And uh, for those who've been married, you just know that's a special moment. And, and, and culturally, we try to protect it, right? It's bad luck to see the bride before, you know, the ceremony and all that. But uh, Jane and I, we cheated. And uh, because the photographer wanted pictures before the wedding and it was an afternoon wedding, so it'd be dark, pictures wouldn't be good. So we did a first look, but I had my back turned. So then I turned around and I'm like, oh, you know, and it was one of those. And it was not in a bad way. That came out kind of bad, like scary, like, ah, you know, it wasn't that. It wasn't like, oh, T-Rex, you know, monster or anything. And uh, you know what? I dug that hole. I'm like, there's no, no getting out of that mess. That just came out all bad. Uh, but, you know, it's that first look, you know. And uh, the host today, I'm going to pick on Rock, and uh, he was hosting. I got to do his wedding. I was there, and uh, he and his bride, they hadn't seen each other, and uh, I always look for that moment. I just watch, see what the dude is going to do, because, uh, you know, this guy's kind of manly, tough, and everything, especially Rock. I mean, he's got this beard that's like a manly beard, you know, like, he just looks like a man. Like, this is four weeks for me, guys. I mean, this is, this took a lot of work, right? I just you can't do it. You know, facial hair just takes me forever, and uh, so I was waiting for the moment, and then Caitlin came around the corner and I looked at Rock, and boom, he was down. I was like, whoa, he dropped to his knees. He was overwhelmed by the moment, by what he saw just leveled him. Sight is powerful, isn't it? Sight is powerful. So equally powerful is spiritual blindness. You see, 
you're going back to the spiritual blindness. We understand how powerful sight is. And here's the thing. Satan knows how powerful it is. So there was a guy, his name is Paul. Paul wrote 13 books in our New Testament. He was arguably the greatest Christian outside of Jesus. And he said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He said, the God of this age. Now, the God that he's talked about is small G-O-D. Not God creator, God savior. The God of this age has blinded people so they would not see the truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He said, there's a person out there who's trying to blind you so you don't see what's really happening. And we're going to look at that today. Spiritual blindness. What does it mean? How does it impact us? And how is it that we can be blind to some things? You see, people will come to me and they'll say, hey, man, I like the way you open up the word and I just, I, I see it. You know, when you're talking about it, I, I understand it, and I, and I normally don't understand it. I'll open up the Bible, and it's, I don't get it. And uh, can I tell you what that is? That's actually not me. That's actually not me. It, it, it's nice of you to say, oh, yeah, you just unlocked the word for me. I just understand it. That's not me. It's actually the scales being lifted from your eyes so that you can see the truth. That's what's really happening. Because throughout the week, there is a small G-O-D who he is the God of this age. I mean, he is trying to blind people. Why? Because if he can blind you from the truth, he can keep you bound. Because we, we, we hear this statement all the time, but we don't know it's actually a Bible verse. It says, the truth will make you free. Satan doesn't want you to know the truth. He wants to blind you from the truth. And so if he can keep you blind to the truth, then you won't see it. Here, here's the statement. If I can say this, it's gonna, it'll make more sense as we go along in the message. You can't see what you haven't seen. I know that sounds like, well, duh. Yeah, you, you can't see what you haven't seen. You see, uh, we want this picture of God. We want to see God. And I ask that question, like when I say God, what do you see? What do you picture? You see, if you haven't seen him, you won't see him. So, so Satan's one goal is that you never see him, that you never encounter him. He doesn't want you to see how he can transform your life. He doesn't want you to see how he can change things. So Jesus is going to illustrate this, and he's going to undo spiritual blindness. John chapter number 9. And let's work this out. Let's do a little bit of work this morning. Touch your neighbor say, hey, did you come to work? Did you come to work? Uh, I know sometimes it's like sit back, and it's like, all right, man, do your job. This is what you get paid for. Best job in the whole world. You work one hour a week. Come on. Just, just do your job, you know? And it's like some people growing up, they thought the trash— trash guy would be the best job in the world. He only works Thursdays. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, one day a week, I want that job, you know? And uh, they don't realize he works every day, you know? So uh, uh, let's, let's work today. Notice if you would, verse number one. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Verse two, his disciples asked him, this is Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus replies, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as this is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begged and asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then, when, you were, when your eyes, were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Shalom and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is the man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. 
You can't see what you haven't seen. And you can't unsee what you have seen. You see, this man, he was blind. He was born blind physically. But Jesus is going to use this blind person to open the eyes of his disciples. And I'm hoping that what Jesus was trying to illustrate in this passage would help us to be able to see some things about him, what he wants to do in this day and age as well. So as we dive into this, let's pull it apart a little bit. So we see, first of all, in verse number two, we see the disciples. What are they doing? The disciples, they point him out. They point out to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, here's this guy. He's blind. And in their culture, their upbringing, they assumed that Jesus, you're judging this person because he did something bad. So that's why he's got that issue because you're judging him. Or Jesus, maybe his parents did something bad and you're judging his parents by hurting their kid. And some people had that view of God. You say, what do you mean that view of God? That God is out to get you kind of God. That you better behave because God's around the corner. Uh, my wife said growing up, it was always uh, uh, something where whenever you got in trouble, it was like, oh, I'm gonna take you to the dentist. And so he grow up and being afraid of the dentist. Or it was, oh, if you don't behave, I'm gonna call the police. You know, you're like five years old and you're freaking out because you think your mom's gonna send you to San Quentin or something. You know, you're like, oh, what? You know, you're already picturing out, I'm gonna need to get a tattoo. I'm gonna need to be hard. You know what I mean? And it's just like, you're like gangbanger and everything. And uh, you know, you start freaking out. Why? Because parents, what are they trying to do? They're trying to control you. And so sometimes we take that view. We think that's what God's trying to do. So we think that's our view of God. Like God's just waiting to just beat us over the head. And that's what the disciples thought about God. Like if you don't straighten up, guess what God's going to do? He's going to curse your child and make your child blind. And that thinking kind of crept into their, 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 their behavior. But Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm doing at all. Jesus, as a matter of fact, goes on to say, hey, no, no, no. This happened so that God can get glory. Here's what's so frustrating, I think, for a lot of Christians is we step back when bad things happen in our life and we're like, why God? Come on, we've all done that. We've all got to those moments where we're actually frustrated with our faith. Like our faith frustrates us. And let's just be honest about it. You'll get into a moment where you're like, man, this is frustrating because I don't know what God is trying to do or what he's trying to teach me right now. So it's just kind of frustrating being a Christian and you're having, trying to have a good attitude. You're trying to follow what he wants, but you're just like, I don't get it. And people are looking at you and you're trying to have a good attitude, trying to put on a smile, but you're like, man, I'm, I'm dealing with the fact that my mom's got cancer. I'm dealing with the fact that, guess what? My kids are, are, are going on the crazy end, you know, and you're just, you're just so confused about what's happening. And then you're getting bitter and upset at God. And then it takes you to the point where you're like, well, it would be easier. And this is where people get, they said, instead of trying to figure this out, if I can't figure it out, maybe it's easy to reconcile that there just isn't a God anymore. People will get to that point because since they can't figure it out, and that's our, that's, that's our way of handling difficulty. You know that, right? Like if, if we can understand something, we can deal with it. Like if we know why something happened, then we can kind of handle it. But many times we don't know why it happened. So then because we don't know why it happens, typical guy thing, I love to look for somebody to blame. So I'm just always blaming. Like I did the laundry. My wife was gone over the weekend. So I was like, I'll be a good husband. I'm going to do the laundry. So I just chucked everything in. I set the little dial and then I went to put it all in the dryer. And as I pulled out the clothes, there was this long, like stringy stuff, like going to it. And then I remembered on the airplane, I gave Austin some gum. And I remember in the airport, he said he took the gum 
gum out of his mouth, didn't know what to do with it, so he just stuck it in his pocket. So he was chewing gum, instead of putting it in paper, he just stuffed it in his pocket. So I'm on the phone, and of course I'm going to call Dan and complain. I told my wife this week, I was like, you know, I just really like to complain to you. I don't know why it makes me feel better. I don't know if any other guys are like this, you just want to complain to your wife. So I call her up, and I was like, I'm trying to do the laundry, I'm trying to be a good husband, and now there's gum all over my clothes, there's gum all over my jeans. Ah, oh, man. And she's like, honey, just, just put it back in the washer, get some ice and just, no, 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 that's too simple. It's too easy. Let me just wallow in this for a minute. Right. And man, I was blaming Austin. I was like, oh, Austin, I know he put it in his pocket. And then the next day I went to deal with it before my wife got home and I started pulling it out. And then I reached into one of my jackets that I washed. Well, if Austin had gum, that meant somebody had to have a pack of gum to give him gum. Yeah, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. That irresponsible juvenile adult shouldn't have put the gum in his pocket and he should have checked his pockets before he chucked it all in the washing machine in the first place. So guess what I had to do? So I, on Monday, had to go pick my wife up in Fresno. So I was like, no, I'm not gonna tell her. She doesn't need to know. She doesn't need to know that I blamed Austin and I yelled at her. I'll just, I'll just let it go. It's already done with. And then I get there. It's like the Holy Spirit's like, you need to tell her. And I was like, uh, yeah, so babe, um, I left gum in my pocket. It's actually my fault, not Austin's. Good to see you. Let's go home. And she was like, I knew it wasn't Austin. I was like, how did you know? And she was like, because you were just love to blame people. And that's what we like to do. So if we can't blame a situation, we just blame God. And when we blame God, sometimes we're just like, well, then he just doesn't exist. And here's what I want to say. Too often, we want to hold God accountable that he didn't follow through on everything that we wanted, that what we hoped, what we imagined. And we need to step back and say, wait a minute, God, you're working something out here. So there's a lot of people that just walk away from faith because they're frustrated by it. And instead of saying, God, this is what you're going to use to grow my faith. This is what you're going to give me a story out of this struggle. And the only way for me to get stronger is to go through the struggle. And a lot of times we signed up for a Christian faith that says, guess what? You signed up and it's going to be easy. It's going to be a piece of cake. And then we realize that that's not reality. That's not the Christian life. There's a great song. It's an old hymn. If you've never heard it, I hope you get to hear it. It's called, uh, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Great song. Great song. It's written by a guy by the name of Horatio Spofford and uh, it was written uh, over 100 years ago. And I love how it starts. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. And I love that poetry. Isn't that great? That's how I picture life. Peace like a river. This past summer, we went to Legoland and uh, went to the water park and uh, they got a lazy river in there. And then we camp out our spot. And then all of a sudden we couldn't find Austin. I was looking for Austin. It's always Austin. I don't know. He's just got something. He's just always, he's always our little, our special one. And, uh, you know, and we couldn't find him. And all of a sudden they got bridges over the lazy river and I'm looking over and I see in one of those round inner tubes, a little kid doing this. Just totally relaxing and just sitting there. He had been floating there for hours. He was just taking a nap. He's literally just out and he was just floating along. And I was like, Austin, you were in there a long time. And he was like, it's okay. When I had to go to the bathroom, I just went. I just went. I was like, no. And he's like, ah, refreshing. So if you're at the lazy river and you see Austin, get out. Just get out. Get out. Code brown, you know, whatever you got to call, just filter that thing. Just don't be there, you know. And if you're walking through, hit some warm water. I'm, I need to stop, all right? Or just, I'm going to gross everybody out. But that's what we want, right? We want lazy river God. We want God to, hey, make my life a lazy river life, you know. Just keep everything good. Just make everything easy. But then that's not how the song goes. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sea, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. 
here's what's so powerful. He didn't say it's well with my emotions. He didn't say it's well with my finances. He didn't say it's well with my marriage and my relationships. He said, the only place that it's good right now is in my soul. That's what he said. And so many times we don't understand that God is going to work things out. You see, Jesus doesn't always save us from suffering, but he always saves us through suffering. Because you got to look at the example of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to save us. He didn't save us from suffering. He'll save us through the suffering. That's what we need to understand. And too many times we think, oh, as soon as I'm a Christian, guess what? He's saving me from suffering. That's not always the case. It's not always the case. And we're spiritually blind if we think that is. We're spiritually blind to the fact that that's not how it goes. Because why? Suffering has a sanctifying effect on people. You ever met somebody? I mean, right after this message uh, in the nine o'clock, I talked with a woman that she's been a part of our church since the theater days. One of our uh, church members, she would take her mom to Kaiser Hospital. And uh, it, was, it was so often she was there and she'd be at the cafeteria. And so she invited one of the people that worked at the cafeteria to our church. And so they've been coming. And after the service, she started talking to me. She said, hey, that message, it resonated with me because I had a 32-year-old daughter who had cancer and had three kids and died. I was like, wow. And then she said, a year later, I got cancer. I was like, oh, my goodness. She said, a few months later, my sister got cancer. And she said, a few years later, I lost my brother. She said, it's no joke what you're talking about. She said, it was my faith that kept me grounded. That was the only thing that kept me. That was the only thing that kept me was my faith. That's what it was. And so you got to understand that sometimes we go through life and it's easy to have people that will just point out the problems, but we need something deeper. We just can't have this, this, this shallow faith. We need something bigger. You see, following God is not an insurance plan. It's a dangerous plan. And many of us just think, oh, life is going to be a little bit easier. No, no, no. God is saying, no, that's not the case. You're spiritually blind if you think that. So you've got one group that they were pointing things out, but then you've got a second group. You see in this passage, Jesus, once again, he does a miracle on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is a Saturday. Saturday was a holy day in the Jewish culture. And so Jesus, he heals this man and he heals him. And the Pharisees, they want to get Jesus. So they're going to use this blind man. They get him, they get his parents, and they're going to, and they're going to kind of inter- interrogate this blind man. And they want him to, to, to kind of rat on Jesus. So let's pick up the story. Same chapter, verse number 25, it says this. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. They asked him, who did this? And he said, hey, I don't know anything about the man. But one thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I see. You see, I'm hoping that's our experience, that once we were blind to the things that God uh, wanted to show us, but now we can see, that once we were blind to the needs of our coworker, but now we see, that once we didn't see things, but now our eyes are opened, that once we didn't see the needs of our spouse, the needs of our family, but all of a sudden after this message, you're like, man, the scales have been lifted from my eyes. I see things now that I've never seen before. All of a sudden things are so much better. I remember the first time my wife bought me a real pair of sunglasses. I mean, once you've got the special UV protection once you've got all that extra polarization going on in the sunglasses it's a total different experience you can't go back to cheap little dollar store sunglasses anymore it just doesn't work and then don't give them to your kid because your kid will always break them okay you think I would learn from this but I still haven't okay and uh, so why because everything changes when you've got that extra lens and so when we see the scales lifted from our eyes all of a sudden we see things like we've never seen before that's what God wants to show you there's a prayer that I pray before I read my Bible or before I make it a big decision. It's based on one of David's prayers in Psalms 119, verse 18. Here's what he prayed. He said, open my eyes 
that I may see. I was like, what a great prayer. What a great prayer that God would just open our eyes to things. That God, you would just help me to see things. Because so many times we just don't see these things. And you're like, man, if I could just see it, I could have prevented it. I could have stopped it. But too often we don't. So you got this one group. You got the disciples who they're pointing him out. But then these Pharisees, they don't like what he says. That, hey, this guy, I don't know anything about him except for the fact I was blind. But now I can see. And notice what they do. Verse 34. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the temple. So you got one group that's pointing him out, and then you got another group that's shutting him out. They're like, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We're going to shut you out. And I think too often, uh, even churches can be guilty of doing this. You got somebody who's got vision. You got somebody who's got drive. You got somebody who wants to do great things for God. And everybody else is like, we don't know what to do with it. Let's shut them out. Let's get them out. No, 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 no. That's not what we ought to do. We don't shut people out. That's not what we're about. See, Jesus, he wants to remove the spiritual blindness. He doesn't want to shutting people out. Uh, anybody play baseball? Before high school, college, T-ball. Yeah, come on. Or maybe you just play video games. I, I love it. You'll see the coach whenever you're up to uh, 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 bat. What will the coach say if you don't swing at a bad, a bad ball? The coach will look over and you'd be like, good eye, good eye. You know, and they always kind of do that. And then they spit, whatever that, that black nasty stuff is. You know, and then they do that. And uh, they're like, good eye, that was a good eye. What are they saying? Are they saying they like your, your beautiful blue eyes? Are they saying they like your hazel eyes, your green eyes? What are they actually saying? No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying, hey, you are seeing something that not everybody else is seeing, and you knew I should not swing at that pitch. You knew you shouldn't. They had a good eye. You see, there's a difference between a good eye and a bad eye. You see, a bad eye turns a blind eye to the needs of others. That's what the Pharisees did. You see, a bad eye turns a blind eye to the needs of others. The Pharisees, we don't want to deal with this. I don't have time for that. I don't want to deal with that. So sometimes we can turn a bad eye or a blind eye to the needs of our spouse, the needs of others around us. And instead of seeing it, we want to ignore it. We don't want to deal with it. See, that's the bad eye. That's what happens. See, the Pharisees, they were gathering of insiders that were indifferent to the hurts of others. They were just indifferent. They didn't care. It's not about this guy being blind. All of a sudden he can see. All they cared about was getting Jesus. They just wanted to get him nailed to a cross. But then there's the good eye. What is a good eye? A good eye is our ability to see and seize every opportunity. Oh, I love that. A good eye is our ability to see and seize every opportunity. How many opportunities do we waste? Because we don't see it. Because why? Spiritually, we're blind. Spiritually, we can't see what God wants to do. We can't see the future. It's being blocked from us. Like I said, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded our eyes. So we've got to understand that he's trying to do that. My wife and I, were kind of into this uh, Netflix show. It's called Unsolved. It's about uh, Tupac Shakur and the Notorious B.I.G. And we're watching this. And I was born in the 80s, but I'm a child of the 90s. And so I remember seeing all this on the news, but I never knew what happened. And so my wife, somehow we got hooked on this, you know. And uh, she's like, this is crazy about death row. And I was like, it's not death row. It's death row. It's death row. That's, that's, how, that's how it roll. You, know, you got to say death row. And uh, so we're watching the show. And man, the show's so good. It's a great show. And I'm just watching. I'm so intrigued. But then it's amazing because one of the detectives, he's trying to gather evidence to figure out the case. But then he's being blocked and he's told he can't work on the case. What was happening? It was a conspiracy. It's a cover-up. They're trying to cover up the evidence. You see, God is trying to reveal things to you. He's trying to show things to you. He's trying to get you to see at a new level. But what's happening is Satan's trying to blind your 
eye. He's trying to get you to not see the opportunities. He's trying to not get you to see the good that's going on. He's trying to get you to get upset at God, to get bitter at God, to see it the wrong way, to see it like the disciples saw it, that God has punished me. And Jesus was like, he's not punishing you. He's preparing you. He's about to bless you. He's about to work through you. He's about to work through the situation. But instead, we just see it, oh, it's all negative. It's all bad. And we, that's, that, that's, that's not what God's trying to do. We're trying to prejudge what is happening. So we need to pray, God, open my eyes. You see, I cannot control my experience, but I can control how I explain the situation. I can control that. I can step back and say, you know what, God? I will explain this differently. I can't control what you're doing. I can't control the circumstances, but guess what, God? I'm gonna give that to you. I'm gonna trust you in this because this is hard. This is painful. This is difficult, but we need to step back and say, you know what, God? I trust you that you're gonna do some good things. I trust you that you are working. See, that's what God wants to do. He wants to move. So the Pharisees, they wanted to shut him out. The disciples, they just pointing him out. But then my favorite part of this passage is verse 35. I love it. I love what Jesus does. The Bible says Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Isn't that like Jesus? The disciples would point him out, and then Jesus, he's the one that's going to go seek him out. Jesus is like, I'm going to go after you, because Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. See, Jesus, he'll leave all the others just to go after that one person. He said, I'm going to go after this person. I'm going to go after them. I want to bring them back. You see, Jesus, he doesn't want to abandon you. You may feel right now so alone. You may feel like, man, I am just suffering in silence right now. I don't even know if God hears my prayer, and I want you to know this morning, mark it down, that Jesus, he is seeking after you, that Jesus, he he goes after you. He comes after this person. He doesn't leave him alone. Yeah, he's been thrown out of the temple. He's been excommunicated. But here this person, he comes and he says, no, no, no I'm going to go after him. And you may be right now thinking, man, I'm just in a lot of a mess right now. I'm just going through it. I want you to know what you're going through may not have been your first choice. It may not have been your first choice. But I will say this. It's never second best. You see, when we don't look through the eyes of faith, we don't see things as good that God calls good. We don't see things that he wants us to see. And I know this is so hard and it's because of spiritual blindness. It's because we can't see it. And this morning, the spiritual blindness would be lifted from our eyes where we say, God, help me to see this as you see this. Help me not to see it the right here, right now, that, man, me losing my job, this is all bad. Help me to see it as you see it. God, right here, right now with this relationship, with this business. God, help me to see it as you see it. Because the way I see it, it's getting me discouraged. Makes me want to give up. So God, I need to see it the way you see it. See, it may not be first choice, but it's never second best this morning. And you may be saying, I just, I just want some peace. I was listening to an interview this week by Tyler Perry. And he talked about how he was going to do his first play. He's like, man, I was in New York. I'm from Mississippi. So he said, I needed to do this play. And I had to have 1,200 people show up in my very first play in 1998. So he said, man, I didn't make car payments. I didn't pay my rent because I needed everything to go into this play. And he was like, I have to have 1,200 people just to, just to break even. So he's like, man, I'm going to get 1,200 people to show up to my play. And he gets there that night, 30 people show up. He's like, it's done. It's done. It's over. And in the interview, he said something hit him. He said, you know, in that moment, I had to learn something that I want true peace, not a life of pieces. He said, too many times 
we are living a life and we're in multiple pieces and we don't have true peace. We don't have that peace that we need because we're living in pieces. And he said, I want a peace right now. I need a peace. He said, at that moment when I was so low, it was my faith that held me. It was only my faith that kept me going. And you and I, we need to have something that's deep in those dark moments. We need to have something that'll strengthen us. Because here's the thing, if God is taking you deep, it means he wants to take you far. You've seen the tree topple over in the storms recently. What happened? It was the root system that gave out. It wasn't the branches, it was the root system. And what happens when a Christian topples over? It was they didn't have any roots. They didn't have anything deep. They weren't planted deep. They weren't planted in the house. You say, what do you mean the house? They got a house. No, no, no. Uh, The church is called the house of God. They weren't planted. It was like, yeah, I'll just show up whenever it's convenient. I'll just be there every once in a while. No, no, you're not going to have a strong faith. Just like I'm not going to have a strong body if I don't go to the gym. The same is true. Man, we want to have all these things, but we're not going to do what it takes. And then we get mad at God because he doesn't do how we want him to do. And God's like, wait a minute, that's not how it works. Sometimes we get so frustrated at God because we want God to give us some guarantees. We want God to be so, so consistent, but we're not consistent with him. You see, too often, we're not consistent in our hypocrisy. You say, what do you mean consistent in our hypocrisy? Come on, you want all these guarantees from God before you act, but you don't do that anywhere else in your life. Come on, uh, the stock market is not guaranteed, right? It's not guaranteed. So you don't go to your stockbroker at Morgan Stanley and be like, hey, I'm going to give you my money, but guess what? I need 100% guarantee. I'm going to get 10% return each year. They're like, I can't guarantee that. I can guarantee an average over 30 years with the highs and lows so that you know up front, guess what? This is not a guaranteed thing, but yet we still invest in stock market. Hey, it's not guaranteed. Hey, flying in an airplane is not guaranteed, but guess what? We all get in airplanes. We still travel all over the world, even though it's not guaranteed. Why? What are we doing? We're saying, hey, I'm still showing faith in something, but yet when it comes to God, we won't put faith in him because we're like, oh, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go. I need 100%. Really? Really? He's shown himself so faithful to us, but yet we're stepping back. We're like, oh, I need a guarantee. There's a guy, his name is Thomas, Doubting Thomas. It's kind of what we call him. Because he said to the disciples after three days, after Jesus came up out of the tomb, he says to the other disciples, they said, we see Jesus. And for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. And they kept talking about it. They were like, we saw Jesus, man. You can just tell him like, man, you should have been there. It was awesome. He was right there. And then Thomas says to the disciples, his friends, he says, I'm not going to believe unless I see him. Because after all, seeing is believing, right? But that's not really faith, is it? And that's what's hard. We want God to show up before we show out. We want God to go first instead of us, but that's not really faith. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that when God says, hey, you guess what? You're going to go and serve at Epic Easter. You're going you're to do this and this is going to happen. You're like, I'm down. I have no guarantees. It could rain and we put $30,000 into this outreach and it could pour and there could be one kid who shows up and he's taking a truckload of 50,000 eggs home. Merry Christmas on Easter. The parents will hate me. The kid will love me. All right. There's no guarantee, but guess what? We're going anyway. There's no guarantee with anything. In 2013, when Jane and I decided we felt God was leading us to plant the church, there was no guarantee that any of you would ever show up. There was no guarantee that this would ever happen. We just stepped out and we just believed that in a God who's big enough. So what happened to the Christians who just believe that their God is still big enough? And even if he doesn't, you say, hey, it's not gonna affect my faith. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm just frustrated right now. Not with my faith, 
but with your faith. Because I've seen God so big and so good. And I get up week after week and I talk about it. And you guys are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. Yeah, 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 that's great. And then Monday, it's like the spiritual blindfold comes back over and it's like, who cares? That doesn't matter. Because we still whine, we still complain, we still get upset. A guy by the name of C.S. Lewis said, a Christian who complains is a contradiction. And it is a revealing that you actually don't believe in God. It's a convicting statement. You see, our faith is supposed to be rooted in something so deep and so strong, but yet it's not. There was another Bible character. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan is going to go fight the Philistines, him and his armor bearer, two against a garrison. The garrison was over 100. So it's two against 100. And he says to his armor bearer, he's like, hey, maybe God will be with us and let's go attack these guys. Let's go pick a fight. Maybe we'll win. And his armor bearer is like, yo, dog, you crazy, man. No, no. No, 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 his armor bearer didn't say it. He said, all that's in your heart, I'm with you. Jonathan moved on a maybe, not a guarantee. When was the last time he said, God, I know this is just a maybe, but I'll move on it. God, I don't know what you're doing here, but if it's a maybe, I'll move. It's a maybe, I'll move. Whatever you call me to, I'm gonna do. So that's why we are the church that's gonna go to the stadium and say, hey, whatever we're gonna do, we just believe it's a maybe, so we're gonna move. We believe that this building's a maybe, but we're gonna move. We just believe that God wants to reach the Bay Area, so we're just, it's a maybe, but we're gonna move. We have to keep having big faith. We have to have big dreams. We have to keep going for it. We can't get cynical. We can't get stuck. We can't get upset. We can't let past failures affect present thinking or believing, but too often we let present circumstances affect us. We've gotta say, God, you're bigger than this. God, you can do great things. And we've got to keep believing. You've got to keep saying, God, you're bigger than all of this and I'm not going to walk away yet. God has been too good. And the next time you're wanting to quit, just think about how good God has been to you. I love John 1.14 says, hey, we've seen his glory. We've seen the resurrected Christ. We've seen too much to stop now. He's been too good to quit now. He's been so faithful to us that now we're just gonna quit because why? Because we look at suffering. Oh, there's so much suffering in the world. Yes, there's suffering in the world. But Jesus didn't say I would save you from suffering. He said, I'll save you through suffering. And he pointed that out on the cross. And so now we can stand and we can say, you know what? I have faith in the future because of how good God has been. You see, one act of blind obedience changed this guy's life. There was no guarantee when the mud was put on his eyes that, hey, I'm gonna be healed. But he said, hey, I'll go to that pool. I'll go. And so he went. And he came back with his eyes being able to see. It's synaptic regeneration. Remember I talked about those six months where your baby's eyes are being formed? If you put a blindfold over a baby's eyes for the first six months, even though they do not have any health problems, they will be blind because they're synaptic nerves that connect from the eyeball to the brain are forming in those six months. So what literally happened was synaptic regeneration. The nerves grew back. That is scientifically incredible and impossible. But yet it happened. See how good God is. We step back and we just have these scales that Satan doesn't want us to see. He doesn't want you to see what your life could be. He doesn't want you to see how far you can go. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. He will guide you. 
Here's the truth, though. He won't give it to you. He only guides you to it. So sometimes we're guilty of not going after the truth. I'm glad you're here on Sunday. That's so good. Man, I love it. Take time and hour to hour of your week to be at church. What about during the week? This message, I know it wears off because it even wears off for me. Man, this week I had to call out myself and doing some junk that I was not proud of. I was like, I can't believe I did that. So we need to say, God, you got to open my eyes so I can see. God, I need this. I got to live differently. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear.